4 and at the verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversary, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. Now I propose to begin today a new short series with you under the general heading of Religious Revival. Religious Revival. The chapter here before us like many other sections of the Word of God, deals with the theme of revival. And this is surely a most wonderful subject. Religious revival means God coming down to visit his people and to grant his blessing once again with power to the church on earth. I believe this is the most relevant and vital subject for serious Christians to study in our day. The great questions confront us in our age. However, is the Christian church to recover in our nation from its terrible decline? Most of the denominations in Britain today will tell you the same story. The congregations have shrunk over the last 20-25 years. That their prayer meetings have shrunk. That there are fewer people now coming to communion services than there used to be. That there's less power in the witness. Open-air preaching is a thing of the past. Nobody in that area anymore goes out with tracks or does house-to-house -house work. But above all, that when the gospel is preached, it seems to fall everywhere on deaf ears. Now, of course, that we must not overstate the case. There are notable exceptions <coughs> to just about everything I have said, and it is so in this country and it is abundantly so in many other countries where the gospel is flourishing as we well know in Korea and in Malaysia or no, not Malaysia but Indonesia and uh, we hear too in Russia and China and other places but in this country it is certainly very true that there is a dryness coming upon the church and has come upon it for a long time there has been no revival, for instance, in this part of Scotland since the middle of the twenties. There was just a little touch of blessing round about the twenties of this century in places like Anne Bank, possibly, though I do not know for sure, in other areas near air. Now if you go to the parts of the Highlands, 
there were notable revivals in the 1930s and uh, about 1950 and 50s and in the 60s and in some places there there is a continual blessing and a momentum of the spirit but let me just remind you of how different this is from what used to be the case or has been anyway the case in Scotland because of all the parts of our nation nowhere probably has known more about blessing and reviving than has Scotland Wales too for that matter has known much blessing and I could speak of many revivals in the history of Scotland but let me just tell you about one of them as I introduce the theme as a whole to you today the great revival of 1859 and 1860 affected every part of Scotland from the borders up to the butt of Ness in Lewis and it is calculated by one authority on the subject of that 1859 revival that one person out of every ten in Scotland during those years began to go to church and many many were converted many thousands were converted converted in the space of a few months now that's a prodigious act of God if you were to cross the Irish Sea and go to Ulster in 1859 the Spirit of God was moving with even greater power in that province the preaching of the Word of God was sublime people wanted services lasting hour upon hour they could not get enough of the Word of God there is no question but that many many thousands of people were brought to a confession of Christ within a matter of months in 1859 and 60 and that revival began, humanly speaking, through a little prayer meeting started by some Christian young men. If you go across the ocean to America and Canada in 1858, the year before, you would see that in the great city of New York, a missionary started a prayer meeting in a downtown mission hall a man called Lanfear and he put a notice on the front door of the hall to say that if anybody wanted to join him in prayer for revival to do so at midday and he turned up and after about a quarter of an hour another half dozen turned up and they prayed to God for revival and they promised one another they would go on doing this at the same time each day in a matter of days the numbers of people praying were multiplied in a matter of months they were having to stop the businesses of the whole of New York at four o'clock to give the people of the city liberty to go to the meetings for prayer in all the churches there was standing room only in the largest of churches and the people of the city were agonizing to God to send the spirit of power and revival down and that was continued for some months until there was a great work of God done and again many thousands of people made professions of faith in Christ now if one had time one could speak 
for hours about the same kind of wonderful action of God in Scotland, Wales, England and in many other nations within the lifetime of some of the most elderly people in our congregation the same has happened in Korea Korea which used to be anything but a Christian country was blessed with what is sometimes called its Pentecost in the early years of this century the Holy Ghost came down with tremendous power upon the churches of Korea there were great in gatherings and you may know that today in the capital city there are some congregations numbering 10, 20,000 people huge edifices almost like super cathedrals for the huge numbers of people I therefore say these things by way of introducing the theme of revival to show you that the deadness of our own day towards the things of God is not without a possibility of a solution and an answer from heaven so I'm going to open up the theme today in this way I would like to show you briefly what revival is not and then second I want to show you what revival is and then third our need for revival today and if I have uh, any time after that I shall speak about the need to pray for it but we shall see so my first heading then is let us remind ourselves what revival is not now the first point we must see here is this revival is not simply reformation now reformation is very important in the life of the church reformation is trying to put right the evils and the shortcomings of a church to bring it into line with the order of scripture now many congregations are becoming aware in England just now that the pattern of the scriptures is different from the pattern of their own churches one particular thing that they're aware of and have become aware of over the last 25 years is the need for instance to have elders many churches that were evangelical did not have elders they had perhaps another type of office bearer but not elders so they reformed the church and they made elders or again another thing that uh, is becoming of interest to churches in the south is this the neglect of the farms and uh, I find that many times when I go to churches now they're introducing more psalm singing as being part of the reformed biblical pattern of worship as they would regard it but I simply use these uh, as illustrations of ways in which churches may wish to reform of course there are many many others these are only just examples one may reform for instance uh, the church order one may re reform the church discipline of a congregation all of these things are important in their way but what I'm saying is that revival is not reformation it's an interesting question what comes first revival or reformation and the answer to that is that you can't be dogmatic sometimes when churches reform the blessing of God comes upon them well you would expect that but other times churches are in a very bad condition 
in history have suddenly been visited by the power of God. So you mustn't lay down any hard and fast rules. It's up to us to reform as much as we can. It's up to us to put the church right in terms of order and scripture as much as we can. But that's not going to produce revival necessarily. Revival is something distinct. Revival is the power of God coming down. And then again, revival is not simply evangelism. Now the confusion has come in here, particularly since the last century, because there was an American man who became very famous by the name of Charles Grandison Finney. And he wrote a very important set of lectures called Finney's Lectures on Revival. They have had a great deal of influence. And some of the things in them are very important and very good, but others are very confusing and misleading and harmful. And the theory that Finney had about revival is this. Let me quote him. He said, revival is something that man can do. In other words, his theory is that it is the right use of the appropriate means. And that is how the Americans of a certain kind of evangelical school of thought talk about holding a revival. This is what they have done and still do. They hold a revival. Now what they mean is you have a great evangelistic campaign and you invite some prominent speaker and after the soft music has died away he speaks and then he stops speaking the soft music begins again and you have this tremendous appeal for the people to come forward. Now the theory behind that is that with the right use of the appropriate means you can uh, break down people's resistance and you can make them into Christians. Now that is just not true. And uh, that theory has landed us very largely in the mess that we're in today. These huge evangelistic events in London, Glasgow, and Birmingham and elsewhere. They have not solved the problem of the church in our age. And there are some very capable thinkers who feel that these mass evangelistic meetings have only led to greater confusion and greater ignorance and greater disorder within the church context. Now, I said, as my heading here, evangelism is not the same as revival. Let me mention a great revival that occurred in Kirkoshock in 1630. That's the place between Glasgow and Edinburgh on the right-hand side if you're facing eastward and travelling along the motorway, the Kirkoshock. You can still see the graveyard in the church, although the church is not the one that was there in the days I'm talking about. The preacher was a young man, David Livingston. It was a Monday night of a communion, the Thanksgiving night, and he was preaching to a large audience in the open air. He was extremely nervous because he was a young man and there were famous ministers present, and it was a very large and well-experienced congregation. There were many outstanding Christians present, as well as, of course, many unconverted people. He had actually intended to walk away from the meeting the night before. He quietly stole away from the gathering and began to walk a few miles over the heather moors, and then the word of God came to him, and he felt rebuked for his unbelief. And he went back to his duties, and he was preaching from Ezekiel 36, Then will I pour pure water upon you. And he preached for about three quarters of an hour, or an hour, 
and he was just about to finish his sermon because he'd completed saying all that he had prepared to say when the rain began to fall and the people began to put on their capes to protect themselves, don't you understand, from the rain and suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon him and upon them and this is what he began to say to them well, well, he said, you people, you're protecting yourselves from a few drops of rain and how will you protect yourselves from the wrath of God in the last day when the fire falls upon you and you have not got a redeemer or a protection from the judgment to come those of you, he meant, who were not yet converted in Christians and an extraordinary scene occurred it wasn't just his words or his persuasiveness the power of God in true revival came down upon that meeting and it was calculated that no fewer than 500 people were converted to God on that occasion through the remarks of that one preacher and that one sermon now that is what we call uh, revival it is not something that man does the man had no intention of preaching in that way when he started as I told you he actually was very nervous but you see this was the work of God oh that thou wouldst rend the heavens that thou wouldst come down and God did that at the Kirk shop. so revival is not simply evangelism now that's not to deny that there is a place for evangelistic events and for having special events I'm not decrying that all I'm saying is we must never equate the two that is confusing and misleading one other brief point under this heading revival is not simply one or two conversions it's a wonderful thing of course even when one person is converted we rejoice in that it does a lot of good it helps to revive a congregation even when one person comes to Christ I don't think all of you appreciate this but even just when you come to church it helps the Lord's people when you're absent they mourn when they see your face there and you sitting in your place they are glad when a person is brought to faith in Christ the Lord's people are greatly enriched and enlivened spiritually and so is the congregation but what I'm saying is now that's not revival revival is that on a far wider scale now the great pattern of revival of course is in Acts 2 the day of Pentecost and I want to say something about that because some thinkers and some speakers take the point of view that Pentecost was in every sense unrepeatable and absolutely unique what in modern parlance is called a one-off event now I don't take that view nor did our forefathers before us it was certainly not the common view of our greatest thinkers and writers and preachers before us the view they took about Pentecost was something like this God promises in the New Testament age I will pour my spirit upon all flesh now that began to happen at Pentecost but it was not completed at Pentecost God did not pour out his spirit upon all flesh at Pentecost this was just a token of what was to happen continually, repeatedly, over and over again in history 
so that you see there were many subsequent outpourings similar to Pentecost. We're not interested in the tongue speaking and the healing and things of that sort. That's a very, very minor interest to us. But what is of interest is when God's Spirit comes down upon men in this wonderful way. And you know what happened at Pentecost in Acts 2? When they heard the preaching of Peter and the others, they were pricked in their hearts. They were convinced of their sin. And they were constrained to cry out, What are we to do? Where are we to go to find relief from this burden of guilt and sin? And they were pointed, of course, to Christ as being the Saviour. Now then, that is what revival is. It's not just a conversion of one or two or ten. It is this amazing and widespread work of the Spirit of God. So I've tried to say a little there about what revival is not. It's not simply reformation. It's not simply evangelism. It's not merely one or two conversions. And now the second heading, what revival is. Now revival is, first of all, a powerful action of God at work in a community. Now let me point you to some things in this chapter which give us a description of revival. The prophet's words in verse 1 are this, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Now to rend something is to tear it. And what he's asking God to do is this. He's praying to God and he's saying, Oh God, we're in such a condition of need. The church is so barren, the church is so dead, the church is so powerless everywhere. Oh God, take hold of the heavens with both hands as a man would take hold of a piece of material or cloth and rend it in thunder like this. And oh, thyself come down upon us. Pour upon us this power from above. And you see the illustration in verse 1 at the end. So that the mountains may flow down. This is an illustration of a volcano or something. The mountains are flowing down at the presence of God. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causes the waters to boil. Now all of that is a description of something absolutely supernatural and titanic. Heavens rent, mountains melting, sea boiling and surging. So you see, this is the conception the Bible gives us of revival. God doing it. God's power. And what is so important is, it's not something that anybody can produce or engineer. This is clear, for instance, at verse 3. When thou didst terrible things, which we look not for. Now that's it. Which we look not for. In other words, this overwhelmed us. This took us by surprise. And so revival, you see, is the powerful working of God. And it is the presence of God. That's the word he's talking about. That thou, O God, wouldest come down, thy presence known and felt within the congregation. Now one of the wonderful features of true spiritual revival is that men can feel that God is present in that meeting. This is something that they will tell you, even unconverted people. 
when revival occurs there is a sense of the presence of God for instance in a great revival in North Wales at the very beginning of this century the people were so aware of the presence of God in a little village called Croft near Wrexham that for instance just to take one tiny detail the football team never put on their strip of their, their football strip, their football clothes they never put them on for a whole year now that's not because playing football is a sin I'm not saying that and that's not what they thought the reason was there was such a sense of the presence of God that at that time it felt out of place to put on clothes for playing football it was like whistling in the church of God it was out of place God was almost to be felt in the whole town people had travelled from different parts of England to go to that place Ross near Wrexham when they were travelling on the train they used to witness that they were getting near to this town they felt a strange calm coming over their spirit it was as though heaven was dwelling there in that part of Wales now this used to be true of Ayrshire and the southwest of Scotland there was a sense of the presence of God the, the covenanters used to say this in their writings Jesus Christ is dwelling more in the south of Scotland than anywhere else on earth it was true in those days Christ moved on that's one of the lessons he isn't here anymore like that and I wish I could take my glasses off and put my handkerchief over my face and could weep with you for half an hour the greatest loss we have is that Christ is not with us in the south of Scotland as once he was this is the great tragedy and my friend who in the world sees it who in the world knows it our great tragedy is not our lack of employment it's not that the pound is fluctuating or the Bank of England going up and down our great tragedy is that Jesus Christ is not dwelling in our midst so that men can feel him that's why they won't come to church bring the day when he rends the heavens and comes down there come thousands will come from all parts of the land and they want to know what this presence of God is you see in true revival man is aware of the presence of God look at the end of verse 2 that the nations may tremble at thy presence or the middle of verse 2 to make thy name known to thine adversaries now that's very interesting when God comes down to a people how do you know what do people do when God comes down in this sense what is the proof that God is present in the church service that's a very important question you don't all start jumping and shouting and clapping your hands the proof that God has come into a place like this is to be found there in verse 2 the nations may tremble at thy presence this is always true you have it in Acts chapter 2 and it is borne out by every subsequent revival in history when God comes down in this way men feel a sense of awe they're aware of sublime powers at work 
They don't turn to their neighbor and give a holy cuddle and a kiss uh, as you see in some sort of religious gatherings. There's nothing matey or chummy comes in. People forget where they are. They become aware of eternity. Sometimes they sit for hours in their seats praying to God. They don't want to go home. That's a miracle. People forget the Sunday roast. But there you are, they're aware of God. And they tremble. Oh no, I come quickly to my third point. Just in a few words. Our great need of revival today. Why do we need it? Well, it's so clear from a verse like verse 11. The prophet here is praying to God. Isn't it interesting? The whole chapter is a chapter of prayer. Every word in this chapter is addressed to God. It's not prophecy in a sense, it's prayer. The whole lot of it. And in verse 11, he's arguing his case with God. And he's saying to the Lord, O oh God, we need revival because of the state of our nation and of our land. Verse 11, our holy and our beautiful house, that's the temple, where our fathers praised thee, he is burnt up with fire, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. My friends, do we not surely find ourselves identifying with these words of the prophet? Every spiritual mind feels the same. Doesn't matter where you go, but take this very town of air. I've only been here nearly 14 years, but when I came there were churches with large congregations that have vanished. The church building of the Sandgate, now used for commercial purposes. And where the minister's fist used to smite on the pulpit is now the auctioneer's hammer knocking down second-hand furniture. Another place with a DIY use. Another place for teaching dancing. Another place for musicals and theatricals. Another place for civic theatre. Well, what does it mean? Another place under the underpass here, theatrical costume. I went into it not long ago just to fill my spirit with a sense of prayer. Where the word of God had been preached, where our fathers worshipped, is now filled with costumery and things to do with the stage. Well, of course, I suppose you could say if the building wasn't being used, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. Ah, yes, but is it not something with tabs of your house? Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers worship thee, it's all destroyed. Where is the worship now? Where's the gospel? Where's the truth? Where's the power? Where are people being converted? Tell me, do you know this? Have you heard this before? Let me tell you this, what's happening in our country today. There are more Muslims in Britain today than Baptists and Methodists put together. Let me tell you another one. Two mosques being built in Britain every three weeks. Our holy and our beautiful house. How are we going to put this right? It won't come about by setting up more committees. It won't come about by people organizing some little method of spreading the gospel in this way or in that. For myself I'm brought to do what this apostle, what this prophet here does. To cry out to God. And that's what he's doing. Prayer for revival. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens. 
and come down. And as I close, I leave you with verse 7. The prophet, or the apostle rather, is saying this, There is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us, because of our iniquities. What's he saying? He's saying to God, The times call for urgent intercession and prayer, but there is so little of it. Indeed, he says, there's not a single one that's stirring up himself to call upon God. Don't we find ourselves right here? Isaiah 64 might have been written this, this very morning about this very time and about this very nation. And therefore, my beloved brethren, I would urge you Take this burden upon yourself in secret and collectively and believe that God has written these things to inspire and encourage you. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down thyself. With God these things are possible. It is a glorious vision. Never let a day go by without many a time calling upon God to do for his church everywhere what he promises to do in such a passage as this.